Section 21 of Winesburg, Ohio. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Rink. Winesburg, Ohio by Sherwood Anderson. Section 21. The Untold Lie. Ray Pearson and Hal Winters were farmhands employed on a farm three miles north of Winesburg. On Saturday afternoons they came into town and wandered about through the streets with other fellows from the country. Ray was a quiet, rather nervous man of perhaps fifty, with a brown beard and shoulders rounded by too much and too hard labor. In his nature he was as unlike Hal Winters as two men can be unlike. Ray was an altogether serious man, and had a little sharp-featured wife, who had also a sharp voice. The two, with half a dozen thin-legged children, lived in a tumble-down frame house beside a creek at the back end of the Wills farm where Ray was employed. Hal Winters, his fellow employee, was a young fellow. He was not of the Ned Winters family, who were very respectable people in Winesburg, but was one of the three sons of the old man called Wind Peter Winters, who had a sawmill near Unionville, six miles away, and who was looked upon by everyone in Winesburg as a confirmed old reprobate. People from the part of northern Ohio, in which Winesburg lies, will remember old Wind Peter by his unusual and tragic death. He got drunk one evening in town, and started to drive home to Unionville along the railroad tracks. Henry Brattenburg, the butcher, who lived out that way, stopped him at the edge of the town and told him he was sure to meet the down train, but Wind Peter slashed at him with his whip and drove on. When the train struck and killed him and his two horses, a farmer and his wife, who were driving home along a nearby road, saw the accident. They said that old Wind Peter stood up on the seat of his wagon, raving and swearing at the onrushing locomotive, and that he fairly screamed with delight when the team, maddened by his incessant slashing at them, rushed straight ahead to certain death. Boys, like young George Willard and Seth Richmond, will remember the incident quite vividly because, although everyone in our town said that the old man would go straight to hell and that the community was better off without him, they had a secret conviction that he knew what he was doing and admired his foolish courage. Most boys have seasons of wishing they could die gloriously instead of just being grocery clerks and going on with their humdrum lives. But this is not the story of Wind Peter Winters, nor yet of his son Hal, who worked on the Wills farm with Ray Pearson. It is Ray's story. It will, however, be necessary to talk a little of young Hal, so that you will get into the spirit of it. Hal was a bad one. Everyone said that. There were three of the Winters boys in that family, John, Hal, and Edward, all broad-shouldered big fellows, like old Wind Peter himself, and all fighters, and woman-chasers, 
and generally all-around bad ones. Hal was the worst of the lot, and always up to some devilment. He once stole a load of boards from his father's mill and sold them in Winesburg. With the money, he bought himself a suit of cheap, flashy clothes. Then he got drunk, and when his father came raving into town to find him, they met and fought with their fists on Main Street and were arrested and put into jail together. Hal went to work on the Wills farm because there was a country school teacher out that way who had taken his fancy. He was only twenty-two then, but had already been in two or three of what were spoken of in Winesburg as women's scrapes. Everyone who heard of his infatuation for the school teacher was sure it would turn out badly. He'll only get her into trouble, you'll see, was the word that went around. And so these two men, Ray and Hal, were at work in a field on a day in the late October. They were husking corn, and occasionally something was said, and they laughed. Then came silence. Ray, who was the more sensitive, and always minded things more, had chapped hands, and they hurt. He put them into his coat pockets and looked away across the fields. He was in a sad, distracted mood and was affected by the beauty of the country. If you knew the Winesburg country in the fall and how the low hills are all splashed with yellows and reds, you would understand his feeling. He began to think of the time long ago when he was a young fellow living with his father, then a baker in Winesburg, and how on such days he had wandered away into the woods to gather nuts, hunt rabbits, or just to loaf about and smoke his pipe. His marriage had come about through one of his days of wandering. He had induced a girl who waited on trade in his father's shop to go with him, and something had happened. He was thinking of that afternoon and how it had affected his whole life when a spirit of protest awoke in him. He had forgotten about Hal and muttered words, Tricked by Gad, that's what I was. Tricked by life and made a fool of, he said in a low voice. As though understanding his thoughts, Hal Winters spoke up. Well, has it been worthwhile? What about it, eh? What about marriage and all that? He asked, and then laughed. Hal tried to keep on laughing, but he too was in an earnest mood. He began to talk earnestly. Has a fellow got to do it? He asked. Has he got to be harnessed up and driven through life like a horse? Hal didn't wait for an answer, but sprang to his feet and began to walk back and forth between the corn shocks. He was getting more and more excited. Bending down, he suddenly picked up an ear of the yellow corn and threw it at the fence. I've got Neil Gunther in trouble, he said. I'm telling you, but you keep your mouth shut. Ray Pearson arose and stood staring. He was almost a foot shorter than Hal and when the young man came and put his two hands on the older man's shoulders, they made a picture. There they stood, in the big empty field with the quiet corn shocks standing in rows behind them, 
and the red and yellow hills in the distance, and from being just two indifferent workmen, they had become all alive to each other. Hal sensed it, and because that was his way, he laughed. Well, old daddy, he said awkwardly, come on, advise me. I've got Nell in trouble. Perhaps you've been in the same fix yourself. I know what everyone would say is the right thing to do, but what do you say? Shall I marry and settle down? Shall I put myself into the harness to be worn out like an old horse? You know me, Ray. There can't anyone break me, but I can break myself. Shall I do it, or shall I tell Nell to go to the devil? Come on, you tell me. Whatever you say, Ray, I'll do. Ray couldn't answer. He shook Hal's hands loose, and turning, walked straight away toward the barn. He was a sensitive man, and there were tears in his eyes. He knew there was only one thing to say to Hal Winters, son of old Wind Peter Winters, only one thing that all his own training and all the beliefs of the people he knew would approve, but for his life he couldn't say what he knew he should say. At half-past four that afternoon, Ray was puttering about the barnyard when his wife came up the lane along the creek and called him. After the talk with Hal, he hadn't returned to the cornfield, but worked about the barn. He had already done the evening chores and had seen Hal, dressed and ready for a roistering night in town, come out of the farmhouse and go into the road. Along the path to his own house, he trudged behind his wife, looking at the ground and thinking. He couldn't make out what was wrong. Every time he raised his eyes and saw the beauty of the country in the failing light, he wanted to do something he had never done before, shout or scream or hit his wife with his fists or something equally unexpected and terrifying. Along the path he went, scratching his head and trying to make it out. He looked hard at his wife's back, but she seemed all right. She only wanted him to go into town for groceries, and as soon as she had told him what she wanted, began to scold. You're always puttering, she said. Now I want you to hustle. There isn't anything in the house for supper, and you've got to get to town and back in a hurry. Ray went into his own house and took an overcoat from a hook back of the door. It was torn about the pockets, and the collar was shiny. His wife went into the bedroom and presently came out with a soiled cloth in one hand and three silver dollars in the other. Somewhere in the house a child wept bitterly, and a dog that had been sleeping by the stove arose and yawned. Again the wife scolded. The children will cry and cry. Why are you always puttering? she asked. Ray went out of the house and climbed the fence into a field. It was just growing dark, and the scene that lay before him was lovely. All the low hills were washed with color, and even the little clusters of bushes in the corners of the fences were alive with beauty. The whole world seemed to Ray Pearson to have become alive with something, 
just as he and Hal had suddenly become alive when they stood in the cornfield, staring into each other's eyes. The beauty of the country about Winesburg was too much for Ray on that fall evening. That is all there was to it. He could not stand it. Of a sudden, he forgot all about being a quiet old farmhand, and throwing off the torn overcoat, began to run across the field. As he ran, he shouted a protest against his life, against all life, against everything that makes life ugly. There was no promise made, he cried into the empty spaces that lay about him. I didn't promise my Minnie anything, and Hal hasn't made any promise to Nell. I know he hasn't. She went into the woods with him because she wanted to go. What he wanted, she wanted. Why should I pay? Why should Hal pay? Why should anyone pay? I don't want Hal to become old and worn out. I'll tell him. I won't let it go on. I'll catch Hal before he gets to town, and I'll tell him. Ray ran clumsily, and once he stumbled and fell down. I must catch Hal and tell him, he kept thinking, and although his breath came in gasps, he kept running harder and harder. As he ran, he thought of things that hadn't come into his mind for years. How at the time he married, he had planned to go west to his uncle in Portland, Oregon. How he hadn't wanted to be a farmhand but had thought when he got out west he would go to sea and be a sailor, or get a job on a ranch and ride a horse into western towns, shouting and laughing and waking the people in the houses with his wild cries. Then as he ran he remembered his children, and in fancy felt their hands clutching at him. All of his thoughts of himself were involved with the thoughts of Hal, and he thought the children were clutching at the younger man also. They are the accidents of life, Hal, he cried. They are not mine or yours. I had nothing to do with them. Darkness began to spread over the fields as Ray Pearson ran on and on. His breath came in little sobs. When he came to the fence at the edge of the road and confronted Hal Winters, all dressed up, and smoking a pipe as he walked jauntily along. He could not have told what he thought or what he wanted. Ray Pearson lost his nerve, and this is really the end of the story of what happened to him. It was almost dark when he got to the fence, and he put his hands on the top bar and stood staring. Hal Winters jumped a ditch, and coming up close to Ray, put his hands into his pockets and laughed. He seemed to have lost his own sense of what had happened in the cornfield, and when he put up a strong hand and took hold of the lapel of Ray's coat, he shook the old man as he might have shaken a dog that had misbehaved. "'You came to tell me, eh?' he said. "'Well, never mind telling me anything. I'm not a coward, and I've already made up my mind.' He laughed again and jumped back across the ditch. Nell ain't no fool, he said. She didn't ask me to marry her. I want to marry her. I want to settle down and have kids. Ray Pearson also laughed. He felt like laughing at himself and all the world. 
As the form of Hal Winters disappeared in the dusk that lay over the road that led to Winesburg, he turned and walked slowly back across the fields to where he had left his torn overcoat. As he went, some memory of pleasant evenings spent with the thin-legged children in the tumble-down house by the creek must have come into his mind, for he muttered words, It's just as well. Whatever I told him would have been a lie, he said softly. And then his form also disappeared into the darkness of the fields. End of section 21, The Untold Lie.